Today we're starting this series that we're going to be in for some weeks through our stewardship campaign and, and really beyond for the next six weeks. We're going to be looking at some uh, text together around the theme, Meant for More. You know, it's, it's easy to go through the motions of faith uh, as a Christian and to look like a good Christian. But does Jesus call us to be churchgoers or to be something more? We'll be discussing the shifts that Christ is really asking all of us to make if we want to be his disciples and followers, not just for what that means to us personally, but what that means to a world in need of the good news that we're called to share as his disciples. So we'll continue to um, look at these texts that we'll be examining with the understanding that God is giving us an invitation to live outside our little faith boxes and to enter into a faith that is bigger and meant for more. Now today to kind of get us started, I want to talk about um, a world that is too full of division and confusion and dissension. So much of our news is disconcerting, and there is so much that we do not know, right? And we can't agree on what unifies us as we move forward. I'm not just talking about what goes on in our country that we're so aware of, but I'm talking about this larger world scene in need of the gospel. Now, I've put together a little list for uh, starters and I've gathered this list through watching and reading news from different sources. And I've come to this conclusion. We do not know how to solve the North Korean conflict right now, do we? Does anybody, if you do, will you please call Washington <laughs> right now? We don't know that. And we do not know what the future holds for Puerto Rico and for the Virgin Islands and for all of those little bitty islands that got absolutely decimated by the hurricanes. We, we don't know what the future holds for them. We do not know if global warming is an issue or if we're just going through another climate phase. Now some of you think you know, but I can assure you there are those on the other side who think they know too. And we do not know what is peaceful protest and what is disrespect for our country right now. We do not know how to keep foreign countries from monkey business in our elections and democratic processes. We do not know the answer to our health care issues in this country. We do not know basic professional and political ethics and what crosses the line. We do not know what is news, real or fake or whatever. We just don't seem to know that right now. And we United Methodists, we do not know if our differing views on Scripture and on matters related to our discipline and issues related to sexuality is enough to divide our church again, just as we divided in 1844 over the issue of slavery. There is so much that we come here today not really knowing. 
We may have opinions. We may have uh, our own beliefs, but, but there's not that assurance, not a unifying assurance of knowing. The founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, once said this, When I was young, I was sure of everything. And after a few years, having been mistaken a thousand times, I was not half so sure of most things as I was before. Does that resonate? And at present, Wesley said, 200 plus years ago, I'm hardly sure of anything except what God has revealed to me. We do wonder just what do we know for sure. And in a world of confusion and uncertainty, John in the first letter of John to the church shares with us what he knows and what we know. And so I'd like for us to turn at this time to 1 John, way back in the back of the, book, of the Bible. 1 John, the fifth chapter, we're going to begin reading with the 13th verse. And I want you to take count of all of the times John says, we may know or we know. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the boldness we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have obtained the requests made of him. If you see your brother or sister committing what is not a mortal sin, you will ask and God will give life to such a one, to those whose sin is not mortal. There is sin that is mortal. I do not say that you should pray about that, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that is not mortal. Now, that's a pretty interesting little conversation John's having. We know that those who are born of God do not sin, but the one who was born of God protects them, and the evil one does not touch them. We know that we are God's children and that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. And he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, Keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I love that last verse. John often throughout his letters 
talks to us as little children. And he just had to throw that in. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Just a little footnote. We are meant to know some essentials. And in this day and age, in this time that we are in especially, we are called to proclaim to the needy, confused, divided, unknowing world what it is that our faith calls us to be about. More. More. Now this morning I want to teach a few aspects of this particular few verses that we have led that I think are very important that lead us on that path that we're meant for more. And the first thing I want to say is that John writes, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we know that we have the promise of eternal life. Sometimes we think eternal life is just that reward that we have when this life is over. But eternal life, the way the gospel speaks to us about it, is about an abundant life that Christ came to, to, uh, to share with us. An abundant life that goes through this life into that eternal life. That life that, that, that we have when this life on this earth is over. And likewise, God offers eternal life to everyone, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And this is God's promise. And we can count on God's promises that eternal life is a promise. And it is God's desire that everyone experience eternal life, that abundant life here into that life to come. Now here are these additional promises from the Gospel of John, the fifth chapter, the 24th verse. Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, period. And then in John's Gospel, the sixth chapter, the 40th verse, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who holds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life and I myself will raise him up on the last day and then from the book of Romans for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord so eternal life is a gift it's not something that we earn, but it is a gift from the person of Jesus Christ delivered to us by Almighty God. And we receive eternal life not only from Christ, but in Christ. He who has the Son has this life. And Christians need never to worry or to be confused over the issue about whether or not we we will experience eternal life through our faith and belief. Another Methodist, Fanny Crosby, she wrote that great hymn that I hope is one of your favorites. It's certainly one of mine. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste 
of glory divine. Jesus is mine now, and what a foretaste of glory divine. We, we ought to sing that later on. Or maybe next week, right, Jimmy? You know, in times of confusion, in times of loss, in times of desperation, we're meant for more. We're meant for that understanding of eternal life, that assurance of our salvation and that eternal life. But it's not meant just for us to have, to keep, to be satisfied in, but it's meant for us to pass on to a world in need this assurance of eternal life that John speaks about so boldly. Now, the second thing I want to point to in this passage that we read this morning is that John goes on to tell us that we also can be certain about our prayers. We can know our prayers are being received by God. John says, we know that God listens. We know that God listens to our requests. So we know that we already have what we ask for in him. You know, it's one thing to know that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. It's, it's another thing to know that our daily needs, our daily issues, the things that we're facing that God cares about and wants us to talk to him about it. And here's our requests. Now, in my experience, I don't know about you, but I don't always get exactly what I ask for. And that includes in prayer also. Right? Or maybe not exactly the way that I have asked to have it. You know, the way I see it in prayer, there are about four different ways that God usually answers our prayers and always answers our prayer. And the first is that God sometimes just answers our prayers directly and in a powerful way and affirmative way and we know that what we've prayed for, exactly what we wanted, is what God knows we needed and has granted that. And sometimes God seems to delay that prayer request. And it's as if we don't know if God's even listening. We don't know if the prayer is, uh, is being heard. And sometimes we can get really frustrated. But more often than any other response to prayer is the response of wait. We're not going to know right now. It's going to be delayed. And it's in that waiting that relationship with God is so strengthened. Have you had an experience where you have prayed and you're this side of that waiting and you know that that prayer was answered but it was delayed? You know, I remember when... Uh, I was in my 20s and I was dealing with cancer and I've shared this with you before but I found it very hard to pray. I, I couldn't really pray for myself and here I was, I was graduated from seminary, I was teaching people about prayer, I was preaching on prayer and I found it very difficult to pray for me. Now somebody told me once, if you're not praying for you, how do you know you're getting prayed for at all? So you ought to just get over that and pray for you because you need it. And then I was taught to pray for myself. Now, I'm not going to go into all of that, but one of my greatest teachers was a man who, who died actually from the same disease that I was dealing with. And he was such a strong Christian. He taught me more in his death 
about how God heals us and sometimes we're not cured but God will heal us and this story is not the end of the story and he had so much confidence. He knew the power of prayer. Coupled with Bill Henson who taught me about prayer that that sometimes we get those direct answers and they're so miraculous we're going to have to wait till we get to heaven to find out what happened. And sometimes those answers are, are delayed like the Apostle Paul where the Apostle Paul prayed that that thorn in his flesh would be removed and it wasn't. He prayed three times he says in scripture but he can say God's grace is sufficient to supply all my needs. That's an example of one that's healed and has that peace but not cured. And, and then Bill Henson said, and all of us are cured on the, and healed on the other side of the Jordan. We're, we're made whole in eternal life. That's what eternal life is about. And with that, it freed me to pray. But it was months of taking that drug I was taking before I, I, I knew anything was happening for the good. It was actually nine months nearly a year and a half into my disease before I had any word that what you're doing on a daily basis is, is really working. And it was, a, it was a decade, a decade before my doctor told me, he said, Stan, you're going to die of something. Of course, I knew that. But it's not going to be leukemia. And that was his way of saying that this disease is gone. Never will it bring an end to your life. Something's going to bring an end to your life, but it's not going to be this. And you know, for all of those years that I had prayed and I could sense God working, but you have those doubts and those fears and, and, and yet you know that God is working towards your good. No matter what, sometimes we can't figure it out. Sometimes it doesn't take us to the end result we long for. But we can be assured that God has our best interest at heart and in mind. You know, thirdly, sometimes God's answers are, are different than the answers that, that, that we thought we wanted. Now I was thinking just this week how, how thankful I am that that. That, that God didn't send those loves back into my life that I thought I couldn't live with. Have you been there? Oh, Lord, make her love me again. Thank God he didn't. Or maybe it was a job that you thought you had to have just this job, and, and there was another one that came your way that was much more satisfying, much more freeing. That's the way God works. We have to trust ourselves that God hears our requests. So many can say with John that, that God hears us and gives us what we are requesting. But sometimes the answer is no. And, and we don't understand that. We may have to get to heaven before we understand it. But sometimes the answer is no. John said, if we ask anything according to his will, we have the request which have been asked of him. Now, I want to say a little word about that. We need to be praying according to God's will. 
We need to be praying like Jesus prayed, prayed in the garden. You know, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. There's no better example of, of us learning to pray than to sit at the feet of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane when he asked that the cup pass from him, but he said, but not my will, your will, God, be done. I want to be right in the middle of your will. So we need to pray in line with God's will and to pray with the confidence that God gives us. Prayer is not about getting my will in heaven. It's about getting God's will done on earth. To pray effectively then, we need to seek God's will. Now I want to say that a lot of what God's will is is right here. In this Bible, God has shown us his will related to um, our actions and related to our attitudes. And it's in page after page after page after page. Our prayer life in keeping with God's will needs to be wed to God's word. Let me, let me give you an example. Let's just take the Ten Commandments. That's an easy one. Have no other gods before me. No other idols. What if, if I, I could pray, God, make me mindful of the idols that I am making in life, if I don't know them already, and lead me away from them? That is a prayer in keeping with God's will that's already stated. What if we prayed in keeping with the words of Jesus about our enemies? Jesus said, forgive your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's one of the hardies. So what if we, we could pray, Lord, help me to name my enemies. Name those who are so easy to hate. And help me to pray that you will bless them. That's in keeping with what Jesus is saying is my will. And sometimes that will is very difficult. And there's no way that we can get there on our own. We need God's help. And prayer is the way to that help. And page after page after page, God's will is stated. Let our prayer life connect there. And we will receive those answers. It may come as a delay. It may come over time. But God will make us more like Jesus through our prayers. Now the third reality that I think we deal with in this text that we read today is that John goes on to say, we know that those who have been born from God don't go on sinning. Rather, the Son of God protects them and the evil one can't harm them. So in order to understand this verse, it's important to know what kind of sin that John's talking about here. He talks about this mortal sin. You know, there's some sins that aren't mortal, but there is that mortal sin. And through reading commentary after commentary after commentary, it seemed there is some consensus that that mortal sin, that only sin that is kind of like there's no hope for this, is when someone over and over and over again rejects God, wants nothing to do with God, Quenches the spirit, as it's stated in another way. A mortal sin is that sin of not wanting to change, not wanting to be in keeping with God's 
will. And then John says, and you need to pray for your sisters and brothers who are in sin. If it's not mortal. Because we need to be praying for one another. That God will move us all into a more perfect love of him and of our neighbor. We need to be praying for others. He, he didn't say it, but it's so much easier for us to judge others and to say, well, look at them and their sin. They're so far from you, O oh God. And John's saying, if they're not committing a mortal sin, then surely don't condemn them to hell. You be praying for them, that God will bring them closer to him. You see, Christians need to see the importance of our connection one with another. And that Jesus will protect us from that which leads us astray. That relationship is so important. He calls it the evil one, or we could say the deceiver, or we could even say Satan. But John is acknowledging that there is that which would lead us away from God, but fear not, for Christ always leads us to God. And the closer that relationship to Christ, the more we're going to be led from that which would lead us astray. The Bible says, one of the great chapters of the Bible, the 8th chapter, 37th verse, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. The evil one can't touch us through him who loved us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, life or death, angels or principalities, things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What an assurance. And then John tells us to be sure about our position. John says we know, we know, we don't doubt, we don't question, we know that we are children of God. And when we place our faith in Jesus and we understand our position that we are children of God and God desires all of us to know that we are children of His, then we see others differently. We see ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ. If we're children of God, then we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That alone could change the world. If we could acknowledge and live out of that reality that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, then we also see that we are also part of this big family that Jimmy talked about when we started this service today. We're part of a Christ family. And in Christ, we're sisters and we're brothers. You know, I hope today that we will hear this invitation that we're beginning for these next six weeks, that we can in some way own these truths about eternal life, about our protection, about the importance of our prayers, about our position, and can own it in such a way that we live out of that in such a way that we can share that with a world in need of hearing it, knowing it owning it. Tony Campolo 
recalled a moving experience that he had in one of his writings. Uh, he shared it about when he was a part of a junior high camp, a Christian camp, he said, that lasted for a whole week. Tony Campalo said it was the most challenging experience of my young ministry. He said it was a Christian camp, but many of the campers were not Christian, and many of them didn't like being there. Now that sounds like fun, doesn't it? Sounds like a junior high camp to me. He said they treated one another with disrespect. He said there was one little boy who had spastic paralysis and they were heartless in their ridicule of him. He said it, it just broke my heart the way that they would just continue to mimic him and mock him and, and, and relentlessly. He said whenever he would ask a question, the boys would deliberately answer in a halting, mimicking kind of way. And Campalo said it was so frustrating. Was, the more I tried to correct the activity, the more they seemed to find ways around me and to get right back into that cruelty. He said one night, about midweek, he said this little boy's cabin group chose him to lead the evening devotional. Before the whole camp, he said that at first it looked like, you know, they were kind of lifting their friend up. But he said, I quickly knew that there, there was evil at hand. They were just trying to put him up before people so that they could mimic him even more. And Campolo said that unabashedly this little boy accepted the challenge and he stood up. And in his strained, slurred manner... Each word coming at an enormous effort. He shared his devotional in five words. Campalo said that he said, I know Jesus loves me. And I love Jesus. He said that this little boy, it took him, it seemed like forever to get those nine words out with all of his movement and the slurring of his speech. But he said while he was struggling to say his words, a hush came over that camp. It was as if a, you could hear a pin drop, he said. And then you could hear a little bit of crying from some of the boys. And then there was quiet, no one saying a word, just the whimpering. And then he said, out of that silence, Someone stood and clapped. And then 
He said it was like the Holy Spirit enveloped that whole camp of boys. And that the crying became tears of joy and then broke into laughter and fun as this little boy who had been mimicked had shared the gospel in such a powerful way and the Holy Spirit used him, used him to convert the camp. I know, he said, that Jesus loves me and I love Jesus. May we be those who as John has led us to be know the truth of the gospel in such a way that we can live out and proclaim the truth of knowing our God in Christ loves us and we love him too. Amen.